Good morning, Journey. Nice to see you all. My name's Chris. Really excited, humbled, honored to get to share with you this morning. Uh, Even just as I got up this morning and was scraping snow off my car, I was just asking myself, hold on, why did I decide to come back to Bozeman from Phoenix? It's because of all of you. That's why. So, so here I am. I, I was in Phoenix over Easter with, with my wife and her family. And it was funny that you guys were doing everything that Caitlin was talking about with the Easter egg hunt, uh, showing up there at the snowy field. And so I started telling my friends in Phoenix about what it is that uh, our church in Bozeman was up to. And let's just say their, their minds were blown. Like that, th- that was somebody's idea of fun and service was not something they could wrap their heads around. Uh, so good job on all of that. We are a crazy group of people to think that that is an awesome way to spend a Saturday morning looking for eggs in seven degree weather or whatever it was and, and loving it and loving it. So I'm just, I'm glad to be with all of you crazy people uh, here this morning. Well, what's happening around the local church, the historical church, is that we're following this calendar. Uh, it's a liturgical calendar, and that doesn't mean anything to you. But what's happening is at the end of Easter, we enter into a season called Easter Tide, And it's this season in which we kind of like follow along with the resurrected Jesus. Because if you'll remember back a week, right, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. And so now we walk into a season in which we follow around this resurrected Jesus and we see what he's up to. And so around here, we're taking that opportunity to to kick off a series that we're calling The Kingdom is Like dot, 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 right? And we'll fill in all of the ways that we see the kingdom in the scriptures, the things that Jesus says, that sort of thing, a deep dive into the kingdom of God. We'll answer questions like, what is the kingdom? How do we live as kingdom people? What did Jesus say about the kingdom and why did he say it? And we'll even spend some time peeking at those pesky parables that don't seem to make any sense at all, that the kingdom of God is like mustard seeds and stuff like that. So that's what we'll be doing. But, but we'll be doing that because we, we just see the way that Jesus talks about the kingdom of God and we go, man, this must be important. He starts off his whole ministry, like he comes on the scene, and in Mark chapter one, the first chapter of Mark, verse 15, here's Jesus, he shows up ready to do his ministry, and he says, the time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. The good news is that the kingdom of God is near. And so if Jesus places an emphasis on it, like this, and then he goes on talking about it over and over again. Well, surely we must do the same. And so the kingdom of God is God's activity in the world. The point of speaking of God's kingdom is that God makes his realm our realm. Or as you'll hear us saying throughout the series, the kingdom is the rule and reign of God. It's a simplistic definition for sure. And we'll find as we go along that it's actually hard to contain or define the kingdom of God at all. But Jesus spends an inordinate amount of time talking about it and proclaiming it. And ironically enough, throughout the entire book of Matthew, Matthew refers to the kingdom as the kingdom of heaven. And never once in that whole gospel do we get like a dictionary definition of what the kingdom is. 
So it makes sense that we would have to dive into this week after week after week and and turn the kingdom of God this way and that way and look at it from here and there and everywhere to find out and unpack this robust kingdom of God that Jesus keeps proclaiming. But I do wanna make one thing clear up front. When we're talking about the kingdom of God, if we were to, to pull all of us here and we're like, what is the kingdom of God? We would get a whole bunch of different answers, which is one of the beautiful things about it. It's so hard to just grab and hold and make your own. But as we wrestle with what it is, I do wanna say what it's not. And when we're talking about the kingdom of God, we're not talking about somewhere up there or what we would commonly call heaven. We're not just talking about somewhere far away as the kingdom of God. We're talking about the realm in which God occupies, has always occupied, and will always occupy. Now, does that include heaven? Well, certainly. But it's so much more, and so we can't just give it that one definition of something up there. The kingdom of God is already here. Jesus says so. The kingdom of God is among us. It is near. But it's also not yet fulfilled. It hasn't come in its fullness. That will happen when Jesus comes again and restores all of creation, the new heaven and the new earth. The kingdom of God is already, but not yet. You'll hear us say that throughout this series as well. And that's the very reason Jesus teaches us to pray. May his kingdom come soon as it is on, or as it, on earth as it is in heaven, right? That's the connection, the realm in which God occupies. And so with that bit of kingdom babble as our guide, I'm gonna pray and then we'll dive into our portion of scripture for this morning. Does that sound all right? You're like, yep, great. Because it always is all right and it's always funny that you're all just like, What are we gonna do, man? You're gonna say it anyway, so I am gonna say it anyway. Just trying to get you involved. I want you to be be a part of this too. Uh, All right, let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for every single person in this room right now. We're gathered here sharing this space together, God, when in reality we all know we could be somewhere else doing anything else. And yet we're in this space filling it together because something in us is bent towards the expectation that you long to speak to us. God, you are already here. You are already moving. You are already speaking. And so we welcome you and we invite you by way of your Holy Spirit to open up our eyes and open up our hearts to receive what it is you have for us, God. I pray that we would meet you in the most unique life-transforming ways this morning. God, would you give me your words to speak I pray that I would not say anything that's not from you or for you and everything that we do here today would honor you, would make much of you, would glorify you, would would lift you up as the true king that you are so that we might worship you. We thank you for loving us. We pray these things in your name, amen. So have you ever been out for a walk? and had the sensation like someone was following you. Yeah? Okay, you guys are not good at this thing, right? Like, (laughs) yeah, had that, yes. Okay, great. So it's a weird sensation, isn't it, right? Well, it's funny because there's a biblical account that provides us with the same sensation. 
Following the crucifixion and burial of Jesus, two of Jesus' followers have left town. However, they waited until after the Sabbath, right? Jesus was crucified on Friday. We just recognize that as Good Friday. And then he was buried in the grave quickly because nothing could be done on Saturday, which was the Sabbath, awkward Saturday where Jesus was in the grave and nobody knew what to do or what was going on. And these two followers then waited until first thing Sunday morning to make their exit from town. It was Easter morning. They hit the road, and on their way, someone joined them a bit unexpectedly. Here's the story in Luke 24, 13 through 34. I'm gonna read it to you so you can follow along, notes page, screen. You can close your eyes and imagine it all taking place or you can just sit back and soak it in. But I want the story to be what captures us. I want us to see ourselves in the story, join in the story. So this is just after Sunday morning has dawned, Easter morning, Jesus has been crucified, buried, and as we know, raised from the dead. Verse 13, that same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. So they had about a two and a half hour walk in front of them, depending on their pace, of course. And as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. That is, everything that had happened in Jerusalem from the moment Jesus came in on what is known as Palm Sunday, to his crucifixion, to his burial, and now to like, where did his body go? And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. Like, I just imagine that for a second, Okay walking along, talking about some heavy things, and it's like, Jesus? But they don't know it's him yet because God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? Now, now just for a second, take note of this. The first thing that Jesus does that would give us some clues that it might be Jesus is he asks a question. Jesus spent his whole ministry asking questions over and over and over again. And he shows up and he's like, hey, what are you guys talking about so intently? He gives them an opportunity to respond. And they stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. Which again, you're in the story, but you're also looking at it from the outside. That's funny. Because who did they just say that to? Right, Jesus, like he knows exactly what happened. And they're like, you must be the only one who didn't know what was going on in Jerusalem. And so to me, it seems like this would be a great time for Jesus to reveal himself. Like, ah, it's me. Instead, he's like, what things? What, what things? And as I, w- I was thinking about that very question in the weeks leading up to preaching this sermon, and I just kept thinking about how I'll, that question just speaks to what Jesus is like, right? Like, he already knows, but he's still like, hey, what things? Tell me about it. What's been going on? Why is there sadness written on your face? What have you experienced? Like that's just like Jesus to value that kind of interaction with us. And I just was sitting there praying to that and I was like, man, 
That's just, Jesus just shows up and asks me that all the time too, if only I'd pay attention, right? Like, he's like, hey, Chris, what things are going on? Ah, funny you should ask, Jesus, right? And then I can tell him, because he values that type of exchange. So what things, Jesus asks them. And then he, they respond like this. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, he was a prophet who, made, who did powerful miracles and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Right? We, we, we get it. They know their stuff. The story is correct. Right, they, they even understand some of the significance tied to it of who Jesus was and what they saw him do and who people said he was. That he was crucified, that it didn't seem right. And then they say this. Then some women from our group of his followers were at the tomb early this morning and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone just as the women had said. Now, this is interesting to me that this is their story. Because first of all, they had sadness written on their faces. Yet they knew this part of the story where angels showed up to their friends and said, Jesus is alive, and they're still kind of sad about it though. Because they can't conceptualize it. They can't accept it. They don't know what it means. Like there's something about that. And then that, that, that would happen. That the women said it. And then fortunately for them, some men corroborated what had been seen. Right? They're like, oh yeah, now we believe it. Right now it's official. And so they show up and they, they still, they still are walking away from Jerusalem. Where are they going? They're like, why would you be leaving? Get back there and check it out. See what's going on. And so here's what Jesus said to them. And remember, they don't know it's Jesus yet. Jesus says to them, you foolish people. And I, well, we got to pause there because I think if you're anything like me, you've read that a certain way anytime you've ever read it, right? Like with, with, a, with a bit of like, you foolish people, right? Like, can't you get it? But they don't know it's Jesus yet. They don't even, like, there's no reason to even trust him or like, and he's probably more in my view, like, you foolish people. Or like, this is so silly that we're here again because this is what I did every day with you guys for three years, right? I was like, yeah, I said it, you forgot it. I said it, you forgot it. It's like, you foolish people, right? Maybe my translation would be, you silly guys. Or like, that, that's kind of how I think he might've said it. And he says, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? What does Jesus do again? He asks a question. Like you, you, you knew this, he says. Isn't it, didn't it have to happen this way? And then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Can you imagine that Bible lesson? Apparently it takes Jesus about two and a half hours 
to cover Moses and the prophets and how that concerns himself. And because after he had done that, it was by this time that they were nearing Emmaus at the end of their journey. So they had this whole exchange, this whole interaction as they kept walking. And then it says, Jesus acted as if he were going on. Which again, get back in the story with me, please, right? You're, imagine you're one of the two followers that's leaving town and you're walking and Jesus shows up and he's just taught you for like two hours. Like, this has been really good. And then Jesus is like, okay. And he just like, he just like keeps walking. Like, hold, hold on, hold on, teacher guy, man. You know, like, hold up a second. And so as he was walking like he was going on, they begged him, stay the night with us. Let's do a slumber party. Keep teaching, right? It's getting late. We need to be together. We need to be together. And so he went home with them. Jesus was super down with slumber parties. And they still don't know it's him. And as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it, then broke it and gave it to them. Hold on. They sat down to eat, which is so Jesus, right? We often say Jesus ate his way through the gospels. So certainly resurrected Jesus is down for a meal too. And he sits down and he takes the bread and he blesses it. And then he breaks it and he gives it to them. Have we seen that before? We've seen that before, haven't we? Jesus, when he feeds the 5,000, the miracle with the loaves and the fish, right? That's what he does with the bread. Because I'm I'm just guessing if you had witnessed Jesus feeding the 5,000, this might've gotten your gears turning a little bit. Or maybe they were there when Jesus sat down at a table another time and he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. And the moment that he hands them the bread, like I I infer this from the text because the word is suddenly, right? Suddenly their eyes were opened. Now just imagine the encounter. Here's the bread. It's Jesus. And how euphoric that would be for a split second because then it says, and then at that moment he disappeared. Or like they, they sit down together, the bread's like, man, this guy has been great to hang out with. He's really fun. He takes the bread, he does all that. They're like, oh, it's Jesus. And they recognized him and then he's gone. What? And he just disappeared like that. And I, I don't know how to explain that either. I just love that Luke decided that this whole encounter needed like 20 some verses. Because then they said to each other, Like they're literally just sitting there at the table. I I don't know if they took the bread, dropped the bread, right there. And then finally they gather themselves, right? And they're like, "Mm, man, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? I love that picture of walking with Jesus. Even when they didn't know it was him, their hearts burned within them. There was something different about this encounter. And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. 
Now, what's interesting about that? First, what's interesting is they just walked seven miles, barely got to eat. I think that's why it took them an hour because they're like, we got to get something. But what was it? Why did Jesus stay with them? It was getting late. Nobody needs to be out walking the road between Jerusalem and Emmaus at midnight or whatever. Yet they're so transformed by this encounter with Jesus that they load up their stuff and they head back to Jerusalem, seven miles. I bet it took them less than two and a half hours this time. I bet they got back there a little quicker. And there they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. And then they were probably like, and he appeared to us too, right? Like, yeah, but Peter's more important, Cleopas, an unnamed person. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> there, there's so much in this story, this experience that speaks to us about what the kingdom is like. Right, the embodiment of the kingdom of God is the person of Jesus. The way that Jesus walks around in the world is what the kingdom looks like. It is our picture of the kingdom. And now we have the resurrected Jesus, right? The, the first fruit of the people God is calling us to be. People of new life, a new way to live, redeemed, whole, put together like we're supposed to be. Although, this resurrected Jesus does not proclaim his resurrected self properly, in my opinion. Like if I had just been wrongly crucified, albeit Jesus went willingly, and then I was raised to life, I would be way less chill than Jesus. Like there would have been a lot of shouting, a lot of gathering crowds of people. Be like, guys, let me tell you something. I was dead and now I'm not. Right? And then I was like, come on, get everybody get around. Put your finger here, put your finger. Jesus is not like that. The thing that Jesus goes and does is he shows up to two disciples, one who doesn't even deserve to be named, who are walking the wrong freaking way. That's what resurrected Jesus does. He shows up and sees Cleopas, the guy that Luke doesn't name, for whatever reason, but for Jesus, apparently these two disciples were massively important. And he saw it fit upon his resurrection to go and hang out with them on a seven mile walk. Right, everything that we think a resurrected person, let alone our resurrected King Jesus would do, this is not it. Walk to Emmaus. Like, oh, what I would give to have had the experience of this unknown disciple. Unknown to the world, but deeply known by our King. We so often, we want to be Peter. That's why Peter's name gets put in there at the end. Well, you know what happened to Peter? He's crucified upside down. You still want to be Peter? Well, maybe it's okay to be the unknown disciple because you're still a disciple and you're still known by the king. So part of my heart 
for this today is just to let the story from Luke 24 stand by itself. Let it induce some awe from us. I don't want to dissect it and explain it away as I'm prone to do. I just want it to like settle into our hearts. Maybe hearts that are burning within us as we encounter our resurrected King Jesus too. However, I am a preacher and I really like to say things. So I'm going to make a few observations, okay? From outside the story though. Let the story sit there. But I want, I want us to pay attention to a few things from this story that speak to us about what Jesus and his kingdom are like. And one of the first things that I observe is that it sure seems to me like Jesus is having fun. Like so often we read into these things that Jesus is like just this super serious dude slogging through the mission God has for his life. You know, like, okay, first thing to do, on, I'm resurrected. I surprise a couple women and then I gotta go meet these two random guys on a road the other direction, all right. Or like, no, Jesus is like so into it. He even plays the game, right? He banters back and forth. He asks the questions. He teaches passionately because he loves to do that. He has a fake meal with him, right? Like he does all of the things that Jesus would do. Like sometimes we forget that Jesus is having fun. It's like he really likes being Jesus. Kingdom of God might be the same way. Second thing I notice is that he hadn't yet appeared to the 11 disciples, like to the main apostles. At this point, according to Luke's account, there's an interaction with some women and these two random followers rock into Emmaus. Like what? Wouldn't, wouldn't you think you'd show up to the most significant people first? Well, maybe there's something we notice about the kingdom of God is that it's there for those who we deem insignificant as well. Another thing I notice is that Jesus and his kingdom are not cryptic. We're not left like trying to figure out what it is he's doing. He takes great care as he walks with these two followers to communicate and connect the entire story of Moses and the prophets to himself, the suffering and now resurrected Messiah. He's like, you can read this whole story too of what God's been doing since the creation of the world. You too can figure this out. It's not some big secret. It's just not gonna look like what you thought it was gonna look like. Another thing I notice is that it doesn't seem to me that this is about the transformation or the transferring of information. It doesn't seem to me that Jesus just wants to get some information across because again, there's a lot better ways to do that than to interact with two guys walking the wrong direction. You would gather a lot more people if you just wanted to pass off information, it seems that Jesus and the way of the kingdom is a lot more about being with people and experiencing life with people. One of my favorite things that I observe is that Jesus isn't in a hurry. The kingdom of God seems to be a place where Jesus isn't in a hurry. Because if he was in a hurry, right? Like we know now he had 40 days after he resurrected to like get everything in order, which he did not do. 40 days and he used one of those days 
to walk seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus with Cleopas and nameless person. Man, Jesus sure doesn't seem like he's in a hurry, does he? Wouldn't there have been a quicker way to make that clear to these two people for one, let alone to everybody else? But Jesus isn't in a hurry. One of my favorite things along those lines that I noticed too was that Jesus willingly walks the wrong way. He willingly walks the wrong way with us, even if we don't know we are going the wrong way. They did not know that, but Jesus willingly meets them on that journey and goes the wrong way, which I guess just says like, good luck trying to get away. He just shows up whatever way you're going. It's like when Paul is hanging out, it's in the book of Acts chapter 17, and there's all of these unknown gods and gods and things like that, and he's like, hey, God's not far from any one of you. You just didn't know that you had labeled him the unknown God. Jesus willingly walks the wrong way with us. And then kind of summarizing all of that, we see that Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, insists on personal encounters over public announcements. He seems to make no formal public announcements. He values hanging out on a road to Emmaus gathering together with skeptical Thomas and taking some time and being like, hey, this is gonna be a pretty personal encounter. Put your finger in my side, right? He meets seven disciples on on the shore and he makes them breakfast. We see a Jesus whose kingdom is about personal encounters. And when the whole story ends with the two disciples, Cleopas, the nameless one, turning around. Just think about that. They turned back around. If you recall back to Mark 1.15, what I read as we started, Jesus connects the kingdom of God with repentance. He says, repent, the kingdom of God is near. What he means is turn away from your human-made kingdoms and come and join me in my kingdom, the kingdom of God. Go this way instead. Enter into surrendering to the true king, Jesus. And so at the end of this story, we see this literal physical turning around of the disciples. They were going one way. And as they encounter and meet Jesus, they find out they in fact need to be going the other way. Back to the place that Jesus intended them to be all along. A place maybe called home, right? That's where He longs for us to be. So will you turn around? Will you turn away from your human-made kingdoms to follow the one true king in his? I wanna give space for God to have the last word of our time together this morning. So you can go ahead and you can close your eyes. You can just reflect, you can pray, you can sit back. And I'm just gonna give some silence and stillness to you to, to bring this before the Lord, whatever it is you have. And I want you to maybe imagine as you take this time, what it might've been like, whatever road you're on right now for Jesus to meet you on that road. Imagine him with you because real encounters with Jesus actually change us. So take some time with him. I'll close this in a moment.
as you continue to just sit in this space of reflection, I want to speak over the, the top a little bit for a moment. Again, at the outset of Jesus's ministry, he issues that invitation to turn around and become a part of his kingdom. And if you're in this place this morning and you're ready to turn around and surrender to the one true King Jesus, I just wanna give you that opportunity to do that. It can happen in this space right now. And if that's what you're choosing to do, there'll be a connect card in front of you. You can fill that out and let us know so that we can connect up with you and talk more about that. At the end of our gathering, there'll be people at the yellow tables on both sides of the stage who'd love to pray with you through that. I'll be down here and I'll love to pray with you through that if that's a decision you're making as well. God, we thank you that you grant us the beautiful opportunity to see recorded stories of your resurrected son, Jesus, walking on this earth. God, it seems that it never happens like we think it should or we think it will. And so we thank you that we get to watch your son, Jesus, surprise us. And God, we invite you to continually surprise us. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who willingly went to the cross, was crucified and raised to new life so that we might have new life. And now God, you invite us to be part of your kingdom, to be your kingdom people, to be about your kingdom work on this earth. And it is by the Holy Spirit in us, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that fills us now that we are empowered to go and live this kingdom life. Continue to give us the courage to turn away from our own human made kingdoms and put you, Jesus, on your glorious throne before us in our lives. May we always surrender and serve you, the one true king. And as we go and live as kingdom people, may we be defined the same way that your son Jesus was, God, by our love for you and our love for other people. And let that be what honors you, brings glory to you, and brings your kingdom from heaven to earth, here and now. May it come soon. Jesus. May it come soon. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.